This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Good morning, Equalizer Extra subscribers. It's time for another episode of the Equalizer Podcast. Episode 58 of the Equalizer podcast as week four in the NWSL season comes to a conclusion. My name is Dan Lawletta. I've got Chelsea Bush and John Halloran with me. And we selected us three for this week's podcast because Claire, our other usual co-host, and Jeff Kasouf got to do their U.S. roster review the day of the drop on Thursday. We'll get to that in a little bit, but we're going to open with NWSL real quickly a recap of the weekend. Not too many goals this weekend. We had a Friday night game in which Utah defeated Chicago one to nothing. Katie Johnson was sent off in that game for the Red Stars. Two scoreless draws on Saturday, North Carolina and Sky Blue, which was interrupted by a weather delay. Also, the spirit and the rain. And on Sunday, the Dash with a home win, a rare home win for the Dash, one nothing over the Orlando Pride, who are now haplessly by themselves on the bottom with one point, I actually think, I don't know if everyone's going to agree, but I actually thought the Courage Sky Blue game might be the most interesting game of the weekend because I didn't think the Courage played as well as they should have with the personnel they had. And Sky Blue, after that Spirit game, really hasn't been terrible. But I also think that they really desperately need to get some results because one win out of 28, not good enough. And that's their mark in the Denise Reddy era. So, I know Chelsea has something to say about Courage Sky Blue, so I'll go to you first. Yeah, um, I think we've been saying this is the game we've kind of been expecting for probably over a year now. And it's the fact that Courage's finishing was absolutely terrible. I think I want to say Dabinia was like eight shots, none on goal, something like that. It was they created plenty of chances, but they they really should have put one away. Yeah, they were missing a few few players, but this is still a, a big chunk of that championship roster on the field. Um, and credit to Sky Blue, I think they, they brought the game to them, but I, I just thought this was very poor by North Carolina, particularly the finishing was really what jumped out at me, and that's kind of the point I wanted to make. We we all kind of figured this would happen at one point. I just really didn't expect it to be against Sky Blue, to be honest. They've also got two draws now on the season, and in the draw against the Red Stars, the Red Stars hit the underside of the crossbar, the ball bounced straight down, somehow evaded Urseg, who somehow pirouetted around it. That was in stoppage time. And then 0-0 against Sky Blue. And as you said, they should have been ahead because they hit the post a couple times in the first half. Dabinia, I felt like, did that same move three or four times and couldn't get it on frame in her first start of the season. But Sky Blue really should have had the winner. And Merritt Mathias made one of the all-time hustle plays. Probably got a little lucky with the way it hit her. But 
they could really easily be two and two now instead of two zero and two and carrying this unbeaten streak still. Yeah, um, absolutely. I I did kind of feel for Sky Blue. I thought I thought for sure they they had you would get an open net like that. You think you're going to have the winner, especially when it's late in the game. Uh, Mayor Mathias just just did maybe a little bit of luck, but really an awesome job. And I kind of had to to burn Sky Blue, but I thought Sky Blue didn't. I thought Monty Dorsey looked really good going forward. I think she she showed that the courage can be exposed on the counter. And I think um, even though they're only missing one of their regular starters in defense, they just didn't look as organized as I'm used to seeing them. And I don't know if maybe some of that, I thought that putting um, O'Sullivan kind of deeper in that box midfield was an interesting choice. And I think maybe they missed a, a stronger presence back there. John, you have anything on the Carter Sky Blue game? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, one to just add on, well, to add on to a lot of what Chelsea was saying. Um, I also thought Dorsey was good, but particularly against Kaylee Kurtz um, on a couple of uh, occasions beat her pretty bad. It was interesting. I don't know if you guys saw, but Kurtz had an Instagram post um, either last night or today about Riley telling her that it's very easy to watch games from the bench and think you can make a difference, but it's a totally different thing when you get in there and you see the speed of play. And I think that's kind of what she experienced last night. Um, and then just with the, with the other things, um, you know, the courage did finish poorly and Riley talked preseason about the courage needing to do a better job, taking advantage of their chances. They also created 28 shots. So while, it's pretty bad that you can't convert one out of 28. They're obviously still controlling the match if you're creating that many opportunities. And so, you know, if you have a bad day in front of goal, that's one thing. But if you're not creating chances at all, that would be something I'd be much more worried about. So even though I would agree that the courage midfield was very disjointed, you know, if you get 28 shots, you hit the post twice, um, eventually those things are, are going to go the right way for you. And there was one pretty good save by Sheridan in the game late and also a really nice LeBay save on another opportunity for Sky Blue. But I agree. I thought they missed Dahlkemper a lot more than I thought they would. Kurtz has had better games that we've seen last season, but a few more weeks, there's going to be no Dahlkemper, no Urseg. And Riley has never, including his season with the Flash, Riley has never filled out a lineup without either of those two players. So that'll be interesting. And according to... What Neil Morris wrote today on Equalizer, Julie King is a good six to eight weeks away. So my Kurtz and King center back pairing thought for the uh, World Cup break, that's not going to happen now. Let's move to the Friday night game. And uh, Royals and Red Stars and Royals come away with the one nothing win. Three games into the season now, three one to nothing wins. But the talking point out of this game was the Katie Johnson red card near the end of the first half. Got her elbow up a little bit high. I thought replays were inconclusive. Um, as with everything else, very few people are willing to take the middle ground. It was either the right call or the worst call in the history of soccer. Uh, <laughs> where do we fall on this one? I don't think we saw a good enough replay. From that replay alone, which was very far away and was from – totally behind so you couldn't get any any depth perception on on whether or not Johnson's elbow hit her or how hard or if it was intentional I don't think you can you can make that judgment it didn't look like much from the angle we were given but it was not a good angle 
I agree. I, yeah, I think that from what we saw, I think there was contact. I don't think it was intentional. and I think it was much more in line with a yellow card foul. I don't think intent is supposed to matter, though. If you get your elbow up and it hits somebody in the face, that's a red card. Mm, I mean, I guess according to the laws of the game, I think you're right, but I choose to believe otherwise. Well, my question, well, let me ask you guys this. Why, how, like, we're agreeing that we didn't necessarily get the best look at it on review. So why do we just assume that the referee missed the call rather than <laughs> assume that maybe he got it right because he's there and has done this a lot more often than we have? Maybe, but, and maybe I they mean, sold it well, too, you know? I mean, Oh, maybe. But if you don't know, why do we always assume the referee screwed up? Because... Let's be honest, we don't have a great history of, of really good officiating in this league. Well, that is true. There have been some there have been some poor refereeing decisions in this league. In fact, I thought Marta should have been sent off at the end of the game against the Dash for coming over and getting daily high up on the ankle. Yeah, Marta's Marta's been very aggressive this year. Wouldn't it be the first time she had gotten sent off for a foul on Daly either. But anyway, I thought the Red Stars created a good bit of chances in the second half, considering they were down a player. Uh, you know, if you're going to have somebody sent off, I guess Katie Johnson, in terms of where she was playing, wouldn't be someone terrible because she wasn't part of the defensive block and you still had Kerr up top. Maybe not Kerr's best game in terms of finishing, but I thought the Red Stars were right there and created a decent number of chances. But the Royals have been pretty solid so far. They haven't given anything up. Barnard's been fantastic. Obviously, you missed Sauerbrunn, but, you know, so far so good for the Royals, right? Definitely. And uh, I'll just say it again. My unpopular opinion is that if I was the U.S. coach and I had one game to win, Barnhart would be my keeper. Um, I can argue with that. She's, she just does what she does and does it very well and doesn't tend to make a lot of mistakes. And, um, you know, Kerr, I think the first one Kerr put right at her and the second one Kerr took away her own angle. Um, she cut the ball wide, which probably made it a little easier. But uh, And that's also, by the way, the second week in a row that Kerr's has missed some pretty good chances. She struggled uh, two weeks ago in Chicago as well. Yeah, that's fair. I got uh, glossed over a little bit more the week before because they won that game 3 nothing. She also may have been taken down in the box. It looked pretty clear to me on that replay that, uh, and again, maybe it was unintentional, but it looked like she either got pulled down or her legs got tangled up um, on that set piece late in the uh, second half. Uh, yeah, I, I, I couldn't tell. Chelsea Royals for real? Yeah, I think so. I think they came into this with a really good game plan. I think that, that Rachel Corsi was set to, to mark her, and she did it pretty well. With, with the one exception that John mentioned, I, I do think that was crossing the line and should have been <laughs> called. But I think otherwise, yeah, it was a physical match. That's also a lot of talk about that. I don't think it was anything overly physical. I just think they they frustrated Kerr, and whether that was I, – I have to think that was probably by design because I think it worked well. Um yeah, I, I like what the Royals are doing. I think Vero had a really good game. I think she's she's been the game changer that she was signed on to be. Um, you you may say, yeah, we want to have a little bit more goals, but winning is winning at the end of the day. And defensively, they've been solid. Yeah, someone had sent me a text late after that game about Barnhart and Rodriguez, Amy Rodriguez still out there winning games. And 
whatever age they are, respectively. And I think Rodriguez had a typical game of a great forward because I thought she was completely invisible for the first two games, mostly invisible in this game. And then all of a sudden there she is scoring. And that's what a great forward does. You don't have to be great the whole game, but you have to be great once to make a difference. And she did it. She missed one or two pretty good chances earlier in the game too. Yeah. And I, I also yeah, thought, did. I also thought Boyd maybe could have gotten a little bit more of a touch on that and deflected it wide. Maybe that's a little harsh, but I thought she could have done a little better with it. Overall, pretty, um, I was fairly impressed with Emily Boyd, though. I, I don't think I saw either of her games last season, both of which were shutouts when Nair wasn't there, but I think the Red Stars are in good hands back there, at least in the goalkeeper spot. She's very calm um, from what I've seen. Does not seem to be rattled by that, you know, the, the idea of being thrown into the number one at all. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, shall we roll on rain and spirit? Zero zero draw and yeah, I think it's right oh, to be concerned <laughs> concerned about the rain at this point. Apparently, I saw the only thirty minutes of this game that mattered because it picked up. Uh, I flipped on after the courage sky blue went into weather delay, and I was fairly entertained by it. But I understand the first hour or so, not so much. But a couple of yeah, it was good. I was just saying it was it was kind of a drag there for a while. I thought the rain started out with some some really good pressure. But they just, they can't create anything. I mean, and, and kudos to Bledsoe. What they did create, Bledsoe, you know, had a very good game, some very good saves, particularly towards the end. But I just, the rain, I'm not sure what it is. I don't think you can put it entirely on missing Fishlock and Long and Rapino, but they just, they don't look lively. Um, I thought Darian Jenkins had a really good good game in Houston to start of the season. It's kind of quieted down. Um they're just they're not connecting they're not they're not playing as quickly as as i'm used to seeing a rain team play and i think washington is definitely improved but when you're when you're sitting you're spending as much time in your attacking uh third as as the rain did for long stretches of time and to start the game and, and just not really coming up with anything too very dangerous that's a problem and they have so much talent on the offensive end, you know, Groom, Jenkins, Taylor, Yenez. I mean, there's they should be producing more than they are. I thought Yenez was pretty good in this game, but it didn't lead to anything, obviously. And Bledsoe had the two great saves. And how about the spirit? This back line is not too shabby. Three games in, they've given up one goal. Yeah, yeah, they've had their moments, and, and thankfully they have a good keeper back there. But they, I've been surprised. I thought with as young of a group as they were that they would they would get kind of kind of thrown into the deep end, and then they've they've swam well. And I think DiBiase's been their best rookie, and she's in the midfield. Well, she was up top this game, and I think it kind of I think she has been better in the midfield in earlier games than she was in this game. She started out the game as sort of like a false nine. Well, maybe they dropped her back, and that's when the game <laughs> So, all right, that'll do it for segment one. We've got one more game to talk about. We will give our opinions on the U.S. roster. And as always, we'll eventually get to your questions and answers. This is episode 58 of the Equalizer podcast.
Episode 58, Segment 2 of the Equalizer podcast, and a friendly reminder to please rate and review this podcast. The more positive ratings and positive reviews you give us, the more great content we can give to you. So please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. Dan Lawletter with John Halloran and Chelsea Bush, and uh, we're all fresh off watching Orlando and Houston uh, early goal by Kaylee Ojai, and Orlando couldn't recover. I thought Marta had her best stretch of the season, which isn't saying much, but for the first time, she goes five games in a row as a Pride player, no goals, no assists. But I did think the Pride, I did think a lot of what ailed the Pride in their other games was absent in this game. In other words, I thought they worked more for each other, but they're just not very good right now. They had some energy today, which was nice. And um, and as you mentioned, Marta had at least two two pretty solid chances. And it looked like Hill equalized, and that play was offside. And you know maybe that'll get Hill's confidence up because I feel like Hill goes to Australia, does well, comes back, maybe gets lost in the mix. But maybe that finish, even though it didn't count, will boost her confidence a little bit. And I wouldn't be surprised if she gets even better when Marta goes away because she'll be the sole focus up there. Yeah, and I kind of wondered watching this game, I thought Marta, as you said, looked a lot better than she had. I'm wondering if maybe they should try, it's never going to happen, but maybe they should try Marta as sort of that central forward and then have Morgan and Hill out to the to the wings whenever everyone comes back from the World Cup. I think that the pride just kind of, you have Alex Morgan and you have Marta on your team, and sometimes I feel like they just expect them to make something happen without actually anyone doing anything to make it happen. I wonder if there'll be a, if there's a better chance they would make that move after the World Cup because you're no longer prepping Alex Morgan for that specific position. I I think it's the same with the U.S. If you have Alex Morgan, you're 99 percent of the time you're going to play as your central forward. It just is what it is. Leon seems to be the only one who could get a, get away with playing her outside. <laughs> Leon, by the way, who won what their 13th consecutive French league title? Yeah, this, something ridiculous like that over the weekend. So that's a real fun league to follow, of course. <laughs> uh, but I mean, is it um, too, well? No, I was I was going to say something else. Go ahead. I was just going to say, is it too much to suggest that the Pride play better without Morgan? Not that they are better without Morgan, but that they play better without Morgan. If, if this game is your example, I think so. Like I said, they're not just expecting her to do something. They're, they're combining. They're, they're creating. They're, they're not great, but they, they look a little bit more like they have a little bit more life in them. John, what were your takeaways from this one? Um, I just thought, you know, from if, if we could flip it to Houston, that this is when they need to be making their run. Um, I was very bullish on Houston preseason because of this period that once the internationals started to go away, that they were going to have a big advantage because they were going to keep so many of their players. Um, you know, you saw Ojai with a tremendous goal and she's obviously not fully fit, but when she gets fully fit um, and then, you know, Mewis working her way back and, and Huerta and Hanson and Campbell and Brooks. And I mean, they have so much talent that's going to stay there. Um, this is when they need to start making their run. They got three points, you know, today they're, sitting in third place right now, um, which is fantastic for them because, you know, for the next two months, they are probably going to have one of the more talented rosters in the league. And their front four uh, is very good. And even when Daly leaves, will still be very good. And how does Daly, again, 
not score one-on-one yeah that's she did this weird hesitation i didn't know what like like she hesitated and then she thought maybe she'd try a chip like maybe she was gonna try to get um you know the goalie to go down and and then lift it i couldn't really tell but it it did not seem right the way that she slowed her rundown um on that opportunity yeah, I think she's overthinking it. I think she did the same thing twice against Sky Blue. She's, she like I think what John said. She's trying too hard to think about. Okay, if I do this, the goalkeeper's going to do this, and if I just instead of just finishing the damn thing, like we know she can do that. We we know she has it in her. That should be one hundred percent a good solid effort on frame, if if not a goal for Rachel Daly, one hundred percent of the time. That should she- be easy. We know she can rip it from 20 yards. And it's interesting because this was the first game where the Dash didn't face a penalty. So three penalties against them. Campbell has saved two, and one of them hit the post. Carly Lloyd hit the post. So three PKs, no goals. But at the same time, Daly's now been three times one-on-one with the keeper and has not scored. In fairness, the recycle did lead to the goal that beat Sky Blue, but Daly still got in, didn't score. Yeah, I think that's something that's gonna the, the Dash are gonna have to work on to, as John said, to take advantage of this period. Is they've got to be more ruthless in front of goal. To me, watching this game, it felt like a lot like the opener against the Rain, where they scored early and kind of let the other team come back into it. And I thought Orlando was gonna come up. You know, Orlando thought they came up with one. You know, I thought this was gonna end a one-one game. And how about this? If the Dash beat Utah next weekend in Utah. They will be two games over 500 for the first time ever. Season six. First time they've never been two games over 500. That's amazing. This is their best shot to make the playoffs. Absolutely. And we talked a little bit last week, I guess. I think Chelsea brought it up that Huerta hasn't been as good as we've all thought. She did have the uh, really nice ball that will go overlooked to to Ojai that led to the goal. But if, you know, if they're decent now if Huerta can get to the level that we all thought she would be then that they're going to be even better and I think she'll even tell you that she's not a 10 you know this is this is one of those things that coaches have decided that she I think she's I think she's best as a wide player I think she'd tell you she's best as a wide player um I think she's been doing what's best for the team for the past two years in Houston or the past you know year in Houston um so that doesn't surprise me, but the thing is, is that she can still score from that position. So that's that's where she'll make her contribution. I also look. Yeah. Go ahead, Chelsea. I, I was gonna say I completely agree that Huerta's a wide player, but my hope is after the World Cup, when assuming everyone is healthy, that that Kaya Simon can take that role as a ten and let Huerta cycle out wide. The problem is, is is kind of who does she displace, and maybe he, you know, Clarkson just does kind of a rotation with Daly Ojai. Mewis at that time and Prince because you have a lot of very good wide players on that team, uh, which is where they were finding their success against Orlando and not not without cause. Although I thought that um, Greening did quite well f- for for the role she was thrown into. Yeah, I watched the goal again and it looked like she was really nervous about getting beat for speed by Ojai and kept backing off. And then Kennedy came over to help, and that's when Ojai got it on her right foot and shot it. So I wonder if she's got to be a little bit more confident in her teammates there, that there'll be somebody there to help if Ohio beats her. Cause she was with her, but she kept backing off, backing off, backing off. Even when I thought she was too close to be doing that. 
and probably gave Ohio a little bit too much space there. I mean, great shot no matter what. But I thought, but yeah, I thought Greening, considering who she was up against and what kind of experience she has, similar to Paige Monahan against Tobin Heath last weekend. Like Heath got the better of her, but I thought that was a great experience for Monahan. Um, also, if you didn't hear the call of the goal from Jordan Angeli, I advise you to go back and listen to that call. I thought it was, yeah, that was that was one of the all-time classics, I think. Yeah. Um, I thought Christy Mewis looked better than she has, which is to be expected coming off ACL surgery. Yeah, I, I guess I just didn't. I was looking elsewhere at, at that point. And I think she did fine. Um, I'm just, yeah, I guess, keeping expectations low until she really... I think to the until the point where she gets up to where she's playing like an entire half, um, it's just more about getting her reps, getting her minutes. She's she sends in some, sends in some good balls, um, but I just gosh, it takes so long to get back to you know an ACL tear, not just getting on the pitch, but getting back to being that player, to being able to make those cuts and, and getting your footwork back and just getting your instincts back. So I think she's fine. I just think she has a long way to go. Also, a nice touch, uh, decent ovation for Ariana Romero. First appearance with the Dash in, I think, five years. So nice to see when the fan base has a little bit of a connection with the player, especially someone that hasn't played a whole lot of minutes. Real quick, minute or so each, World Cup roster. I, even though it's only been a few days, it feels like it's been months. We were all really excited for it to just be out of the way. I'll go first. Um you know, I don't have a big issue with Krieger over short, and I think it was telegraphed for quite a long time. Uh, the Morgan Bryan inclusion is a little bit odd to me. I just It just strikes me as weird that you drop a player in February and she's off form, and all of a sudden you decide that because she had a decent 61 minutes for the Red Stars in a league game that that's enough and she gets back in. And I, I just think Zerboni has to be on this roster. You know, I could even live with Zerboni and uh, Zerboni and Brian on Alley long off, but I think Zerboni has got to be on the roster. That said, I, at the end of the day, it probably won't make that much of a difference. And if it does, something probably went wrong, but that's my basic two cents on the roster. Chelsea, you want to go next? Yeah, I, I wrote for anyone who hasn't read it. I wrote about the Krieger and short thing and basically came in, summed up saying, I think short should be on the roster. Um, but I don't. I think that if it came down for that last defender to Krieger over Short, I'm okay with it being Krieger. Um, I, frankly, I think that it should be Krieger and Short over Emily Sonnet. But I, I think maybe I'm in the minority there. Um, now, the, the Morgan Bryan, Ali Long over Zerboni thing, I do think Zerboni's in better form than either one of them and, and has been for a while. I think Zerboni's done well for the U.S., which I think neither Bryan nor Long can say either. But also... You, like you said, it's pro not probably going to matter whoever occupies that last spot's not going to play very much. So why not bring in a player like Andy Sullivan, who's not quite ready for it yet, but can get that experience to bring into the next World Cup? I mean, last time you had Whitney Engen, who didn't play any minutes. You had players like Box and Rampone and Kalupny and O'Reilly, who played like 10 minutes apiece. You have the room on a 23-person roster for a young player. Maybe it's Emily Fox. Maybe it's Andy Sullivan. Somebody that is going to be around. You have a lot of veterans on this roster who are absolutely not going to be there next time. And I'm a little bit disappointed once again to see them going in so many spots for age and, and experience over letting someone get that experience. So I basically... Did I break it? The, no. 
I basically have the same two problems that you guys uh, have mentioned. Zerboni and Short, for me, have to be on that roster. Um, And I think you can make a stronger case for either of them than Morgan Bryan, Allie Long, Jess McDonald, or Emily Sonnet. Um, Sonnet provides a little bit of cover at center back, um, but Krieger does too, and maybe Ertz does, but... Um, that's, that's my problem with the lack of the Zerboni selection is that if Ertz gets hurt or if they push Ertz into the back line, there's not another natural six on that roster. And you're going to end up putting Allie Long or Lindsey Horan or Morgan Bryan or Sam Mewis back there. And I don't think that this system works without a natural number six. And the U S tried playing Allie Long uh, and uh, Haran or Brian in that kind of dual pivot in 2016, and it didn't work. And I think they're really setting themselves up if something happens to Ertz. My issue with the way Jill Ellis talked about the way the roster was designed is that I kind of agree with you both, and I've been saying this for years, that you don't really need 23 to win a World Cup. Yeah, there's crazy scenarios where you could go down to your 23rd player. But nobody I don't think any team goes in thinking, we really need all 23 of these women to play and play a significant role if we're going to win the World Cup. So I'm all in favor of taking younger players. And Jill kept saying, you know, it's not about development, it's about winning. And that's obviously true. But if that's the case, then what? why, does she, why is she also saying that you need to be able to play all these different positions when with 23, you can literally have a backup for every starter, and then you get your third goalkeeper out there. So it, that doesn't make that doesn't wash with me. And I also agree with you both on Sonnet, who also possibly has been the worst defender in NWSL so far this season. But I just didn't think of her as a bubble player, so it just never occurred to me she wouldn't make it. You know, if I could just add one more thing that you know, when you're looking at breaking that down as a as a whole twenty three. Ellis brought seven players for three front positions and seven players for four positions in the back. And that is a mistake, in my opinion, because you've sacrificed, uh, you know, if you just look at that, at how many players you brought for how many players they're replacing, you could put yourself in a really bad position and have an extra two forwards on the bench that you have no need for at all. I think that's a fair point. I think we I think the Jess McDonald story is such an uplifting one that I think we're all hesitant to right. suggest that maybe she shouldn't be on the roster. I agree. And I do think she can help. But to your point, you know, press is going to be the first forward sub in off the bench, right? Yeah, and I think she should be. You know, I think um, I don't have a problem. I mean, obviously, Pino and Heath, I think, are the two best. Morgan's your starter. I have no problem with Lloyd being the backup nine. I think she's proven that in a couple of uh, appearances. Uh, Press is your number one sub on the wing. Um, And then, you know, you have Pew there, but maybe you don't end up using her much. And then I just wonder, what's the role of McDonald? You know, I guess she has a long throw. And I, I just don't get it because if you need someone off the bench, Press can do that. Lloyd can do that. You, and you I just feel like need that. And I feel like Press and Lloyd will be in all the games. And they'll be hungry when they come in. And not that Jess won't, but, you know, I, I, Press and Lloyd, in my opinion, are better players. And they still may have to hold. We don't know how healthy Kelly O'Hara will be. So do you have to hold a sub for O'Hara? Yeah. Because Which, you might 
not be able to get 90 out of her. Yeah, you're right, which is another argument for having a one more defender on that roster, which just makes no sense to me. All right, we'll come back with your questions, which I have a hunch might include a couple about the roster. This is episode 58 of the Equalizer podcast. Episode 58, Segment 3, Equalizer Podcast. Dan with Chelsea and John taking your questions. The hashtag is EQZPod. That's hashtag EQZPOD. Send them in any time during the week. We'll try to get your question read and answered on air. Brandon Holmes, do y'all remember how many caps Shannon Box had leading up to the 2015 World Cup? If this roster leak is accurate, I guess this was sent in before we got the Roster, but all the leaks were accurate, is the inclusion of some veterans who have been in big games but might be on the decline in their careers. A predictable Ellis move? I would say yes. Box had a lot of caps. A lot of people didn't expect her to make it. I don't know how many, but only had a what, one in the World Cup and a couple after that. So whatever she had, minus it by a few. But you know what? For all the 2015 roster quibbling, I think the U.S. won that tournament, so the roster couldn't have been that bad. I Bill Blatchy, seven forward, seems unnecessary for the roster, especially with the locked-in front three who will be playing 80% of all games. Do you think that was the right choice instead of bolstering a midfield and defense that arguably lack as much depth? Great question. We hit that on the last segment, but we mostly agree. I am that Sam I am says Royals take over Reigns' playoff position. Yeah, I'm hyping the playoffs already. Other three... Likely remain the same. I'm not ready to jump on the Royals bandwagon yet, but um, I'm I'm not disappointed that somebody knew is at the top of the league at this point. I don't know. I will say that no, I was definitely um, at least you know up to this point have have under anticipated what uh, the Royals were going to do, and probably over anticipated what the Rain were going to do. Yeah, that's fair, and I'm probably in agreement on both counts. I do think the Royals will have um, some tougher competition coming up down the line, and they're going to struggle on defense, although Michelle Maimon has been a fine for Laura. For all Laura Harvey doesn't do at the top of the draft, she has found some really good players down drafts. Maimon looks like the next one. Next up, Aero Renier. Hopefully I got that pronunciation right. Teams have signed both national team replacement players and supplemental players. Any clear rules on if they have to sign X number of supplemental before signing national team replacements? Are there any clear rules in this league whatsoever? I was going to say any clear (laughs) rules is the key to this. Uh, There certainly should be, and I should know this, but uh, be, to be honest, I don't. So we'll try to track that down. You may or may not know that there's no communication staff right now for NWSL, so it's not as easy. All right, next one's a good one from Kayla. Should the NWSL get VAR, video assistant referee, like the MLS? If yes, how long do you think we sh- would have to wait? How would it have changed the games this weekend alone? I'm going to answer this one first. I am philosophically opposed to VAR. I don't like it at all. I'm anti-replay all across the sporting landscape. That said, if you're going to have it at the top of the game, then yes. 
NWSL should have it. It is extraordinarily expensive, especially when you're putting it into venues that are not yours and that you maybe aren't going to be at for such a long time. How would it have changed the games this weekend? Maybe they had a better review of the uh, Katie Johnson red card, and maybe she doesn't get it. Whether that changes the game, I don't know. Uh, you know, like you talked about John Kerr getting taken down. Uh, there was a possible handball against the Courage where Savannah McCaskill was all over the referee um, after that one with her hands up in the air and everything else. But uh, that's my two cents. John, what do you think on this? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I think, you know, it's interesting the way that you say it, kind of old school. I think that uh, I think there's an argument for that in that, well, one, I think it, the pace of the game is a little faster. But two, controversy is not necessarily bad for a sport. It gets people talking. It, uh, you know, obviously draws interest. I, I liked it when, with a, you know, seeing it in the uh, the last Men's World Cup. I think the NWSL should have it in that respect. Um, I would love still to see another angle on that Katie Johnson foul. I do think the Sam Kerr one would have been a penalty. And then, uh, as you mentioned, the, I think there were actually two handball shouts uh, in that North Carolina game. I think North Carolina had one against Sky Blue at another point in that match, too. So I don't have a problem with it as long as they keep it short, which is what they seem to do um, watching it in the World Cup with the men. Chelsea? Yeah, I think they should have it. I don't think it's it's been too much of an interruption in any league that I've watched or in, in the Men's World Cup, and they're having it in the Women's World Cup. So if the NWSL kind of wants to keep up with the rest of the world, I think it's something that is worth investing in. It's interesting because I've been on the uh, on on the social media, you know, talking up that it was a horrible job by FIFA waiting so long to say that they were doing it for the women, and now they're promoting all the, you know, the VAR officials and whatnot. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking I actually don't like VAR, but the point is, if it's in the men's World Cup, it should be in the women's World Cup. I think that's a period end of conversation, um, sort of thing. Sandra Herrera. Where's Claire? I think we answered this one already on Twitter. Claire has been banned, folks. We're not, it's not, we're not making the official announcement like the Sam Johnson suspension, but Claire has been banned from the podcast for the time being. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jay Lorge fan, which draft picks have stood out during the few, first few weeks of the season? I got DiBiase and May Moan. How about you guys? Uh, I go with May Moan. She's, she's been... I would. I will admit she's so. She was so like low on the draft. I kind of. I was like, was that a draft pick? Was that a trial? Yeah, me too. Where, me too. Where did she find this girl? But I think she's been very solid. And also, um, I just thought of somebody else and oh. just left my head. Uh, Leah Pruitt. Leah Pruitt. That's what I was going to say. Pruitt. I also think uh, Sam Staub for Washington's done a pretty good job. Yeah, I agree. Um, two from Jay Lorch fan. What do you think U.S. will do against Sweden in the knockout stage? What would be the best lineup? I think that's supposed to mean group stage because that's the last U.S. group opponent. Impossible to answer. Depends what you're trying to do. Depends whether you. I mean, I'm assuming they're both going to be on six points by then and and through. But uh, it depends on a lot of different factors. So we'll skip that one for uh, further discussion. Maria Berry, our friend from Australia. Question one. Why not U.S. soccer pay extra costs of top women referees to do NWSL, part of National Federation role to develop women and improve officiate, officiating done in other places? I 
I agree to a point, but I think the bigger problem, whether you're getting men or developing more women referees, is that NWSL is never going to be the top of the refereeing food chain. So no matter who you're developing, there's always going to be a better refereeing job for anybody who's in this league. And until we get, I mean, I think that goes for everybody, broadcasters, PR people, everybody but the players, really. Yeah, I think uh, it was Tanner Wald who had a piece last year or the year before that showed the massive pay disparity uh, between the leagues in terms of refereeing pay. So you're right. As soon as they get better, they're going to leave. And I don't know. How do we fall on that? Is that something where the should they be paid the same for MLS and NWSL? I think ideally, yes. I don't know. Right. You know, you've got to figure out a way to make that happen. It's the same job, right? Yes. Level soccer, so maybe they should be paid the same. But obviously, that's not happening. Chelsea, you want to jump in on this one or abstain? Uh, I mean, I just I don't have anything new to add. I just agree with with everything you. I just agree with everything that you said, and particularly on the, the point about the pay. That's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that before, but it is tier one soccer. Same same ninety minutes should be paid the same. Probably never going to happen. Should be. No, I agree. Um, all right, one more from Maria Berry. Unfortunately, North Carolina looks too unreliable weather-wise to host an NWSL final. <laughs> Does that advantage Utah as host site? No. Um, they have excellent drainage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, first of all, they have excellent. Yeah, I also, I lived there um, in the Cary area for six years. Um, it doesn't have any worse weather than anywhere else. I think maybe it appears that way on some of the games, but also Utah could have a snow game potentially. So there's that. At this point, I would settle for any place, you know, like let's use the Paul Riley expression. We can play the final in a parking lot. Let's just find out where. Yeah. This is the latest since that first year, 2015, when they made the late switch. I think we found out. Um, I, I don't know if it was during the world cup or a little bit after the world cup, but since then, this is the latest. We found out. Sandy M. Kashida, vote for goal of the week this week. I think this was a sarcastic one put up when there was one goal, <laughs> so far, which was Amy Rodriguez. But I think Kaylee yes, O. is going to win that. Yeah, now there yeah. are two, so tough call. Oh, my. So they're, that's going to be an interesting to watch the league put that up as a vote because they can only put up two goals. Yeah, There's the, only two, and, and that should be a really, really easy call. Come on. Oh, man. I agree. And if they and do they put audio on there? If you can yeah. hear the call, Jordan Angeli will sell it for Kaylee Ojai, even if you're on the fence. Uh, good save of the week options this week, though. All right, Brooke Lynn, this is a good question. Red card in Red Stars versus Royal Game, I personally think it's not a red card in this league. This league has been very physical, and many actions are not being called as fouls. I'd like to know your opinion on the red card. Thanks. I think we already gave our red card opinions. I don't think it's a bad point that you've got to kind of call the games as the rest of the games are called in the league, which doesn't mean you never change it or trend in a different direction. But I do agree with the point that players need to know what they're what to expect week in and week out. Somebody actually said on Twitter that it seemed like the officials had been given a mandate to call things tighter. And I have no idea if that's true or not, but they probably should be. I mean, we all sat and watched that final two years ago, which was a bloodbath. Um yeah. And and we've all seen horrible fouls and, you know, hair pulled and people stepped on. And 
some really nasty stuff, they have to get that stuff out of the game. That's not, yeah, that's totally true. Yeah, Tyler Lucy on Danielle Colaprico. And even the Marta high stud on Rachel Daly. You know, you don't want to call it a red card, and I get why you don't want to, but it's eventually someone's going to get hurt, and you don't want to make that because of a lack of calls. Yeah, and you know what? If, if Johnson threw that elbow, that's a 100% a red card, and there should be a suspension on top of that. Yep. You know, you can't do that. All right, turn back the clock when evaluating the health of the league. How heavily should we weigh attendance figures? The numbers so far this year, excluding Utah, seem concerning. Uh, don't forget, Portland hasn't had a game yet. Um, I, don't, I don't know about how heavily you should weigh it, but I I think like Sky Blue getting 1,300 and 1,300 at this stage in the game shouldn't be acceptable. You know, there's weather factors in some places. I think the spirit are not in great shape so far. Right. I'd like to see it be higher. I don't know if that's the overall. I mean, look, more so than other leagues, This, you know, we're selling. They're making money at the gate in this league or not making money at the gate. You know, there's no big national TV deal. There's no big merchandising deal or video game deal. Um, but I don't know. It's an interesting question. Well, Chicago last year benefited from their double header as well. Otherwise, I don't think they would have beat the year before. And yep. they'll benefit from that again this year. Yep. And they will not benefit from having a big snowstorm. Uh, no, although they did announce, I think, 2,400 for that game. That, you know, of course, had to be tickets sold because I think there were about 200 people there. Chelsea, attendance? I, I think it's a little bit too early. I, I do think that Sky Blue is a little bit concerning, but there, there's a long way to go. I think the other numbers have been been okay. So I don't. I don't know all of them. I was just looking at figures. It was just through like week three, but I think we had half the teams were, were averaging above 5,000, which is, I'm happy with that. Um, I think the expression sky blue is a little bit concerning. Is kind of on the same lines as are there clear rules? You just keep saying it over and over again. <laughs> Courtney Soden, do we know what this new startup is involving Rapino, Heath, and Press? We talked about this in the break. None of us have any idea. And John Forsyth, two questions to wrap it up. Next weekend, will teams still have their Canadian, Australian, Scottish, Brazilian, etc., national team players? Canadians, no. But I think everybody else will still be around for another week or two. And now question two next weekend, Mother's Day game in Chicago versus North Carolina. Who do you foresee has a better game, Zerboni or Short? Loaded question for me because I think it's easier for Short to have a good game as an outside back than Zerboni as a midfielder. But I don't know how you answer that question. Yeah, I don't either. I Why know not that. both. <laughs> there you go. John, go ahead. I just thought, uh, you know, I know that you said that uh, you thought Short had a good game against Utah. Um, I thought she was great in week two and week three. I thought she was a little off on Friday. Um, maybe that's the standards been set a little too high because, you know, I've seen her shut down Tobin Heath for 90 minutes. Um, but uh, and, and Zerboni did look a little off, too. I don't know if that's her elbow still giving her her a problem right now or if she's not, you know, fully back to fit and, and, and uh, form. I also want to say that we're watching these players far more closely than I think we probably normally watch them because yep. of all the attention that's on them and because we're asking these questions. So I think that plays into it. 
also, you know, we we hear that the roster comes out and all right, Short and Zerboni aren't on it, and we automatically decide, okay, Zerboni's going to be angry, and the Courage are going to dominate because Zerboni's really angry. Well, you know what? Everybody reacts differently to bad news, and you know, would I wouldn't have expected either one to have their best game in the league. What? a day in, in Casey Short's case after the announcement. Anyway, I guess she found out a few days beforehand, but who can, you know, who can just go and put all that stuff behind them? And, you know, it's human nature to not necessarily be at your best. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I don't think we should automatically assume that the Crystal Dunn standard is going to be the same way for every person. You know, it may take some players a little bit more time to kind of digest it. And, and to be fair to Dunn, she had every expectation to think she could make the next roster. That's a lot harder, particularly for yes. Zerboni. Yeah, I think Dunn clinched her spot on that roster like three weeks after she got left off when she started going berserk for the spirit. But who's to say Dunn wouldn't have had that kind of season anyway? Obviously, if she got called into the World Cup, she wouldn't have played that many games. But she, I mean, it's not like she came out of nowhere to do that. Um, also, in this game, uh, Courage, if they don't lose, will tie. The Reigns regular season record, 16 unbeaten. And the team that stopped that rain streak was the Red Stars. So I'm fascinated by this game because I think the Red Stars should win this game. And I think, I don't know if they need to win it because they're in okay shape at this point. But I think this is the first time in a long time that I think the courage actually, I think maybe Paul Riley can sell the underdog card in the locker room. <laughs> so how about that? I think the Red Stars should win. All right, any closing thoughts, or are we all done and wrapped for the week? I think we're good. We're good. All right, well, then we will see you next week on the Equalizer podcast. Canadians will be gone. It'll be NWSL week five. And Mother's Day, this has been episode 58 of the Equalizer podcast. Thank you for listening to the Equalizer podcast. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts and do not necessarily represent those of Equalizer Soccer. We thank you for listening and hope to see you next time.